people don't accept you for who you are or they're going to cut you off or they're going to treat you differently or they're not going to want to stay connected to you, that says a lot about the relationship and about the person. And it it doesn't say a lot about you. And I think that's what people take it as. They're like, this means a lot about me. I'm not even acceptable to these people anymore. They just think I'm disgusting or whatever it is. That's not about you. That's about them. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to lesbian curiosity. I'm here with my goth princess co-host, Sarah. <laughs> I love you in all black. It's a rare treat. How I know, you? I know. And my hair is kind of dark now yeah. too. So it's where it's like the closest it's ever going to get to black. Actually, no, I did dye my hair black once in high school because obviously you I was about to, to ask, was it in high school? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, out of a box, mm-hmm. jet black, and it was terrible. I mean, I really, I've had a lot of hair colors. That one yeah. was worse than green. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> That'll do it. Jet black doesn't work for everyone. No, no, not for me. <laughs> hey, so what's giving you a fuck yeah this week? Well, I just came off of vacation. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I took like a proper vacation and I realized like, I don't think I've taken a week off in the last I don't know, four or five years, Wow, you know, like I had some real like classic contractor scarcity where mm-hmm. I've had chunks of time where I'm not working, but right. that's really different. Yeah. That's not vacation. Then like, you know, I'm just going on vacation. It was Ruby, Andrea, and my first vacation all together. How did it go? It was really great. Great. That's so nice. And the my fuck yeah about it is that like it was not perfect. Uh-huh. It was messy. Like as I expected it was going to be, you know, I'm a planner. Uh-huh. Andrea's go with the flow. And Ruby's eight years old. Uh-huh. So this is like a that sounds stressful for you. For disaster. <laughs> and I notice, I think for the first time, you know, something that my therapist has called out to me is doing this kind of orchestrating of mm-hmm. you know, it there it is sort of a form of people pleasing, right? Yes. Like kind of making sure that everybody's needs are met and that there isn't like other people's discomfort or, Mm -hmm. you know, this forming a family unit, wanting to make sure that they're both comfortable, you know, that causes stress. So there were times where like we got dysregulated Mm -hmm. and I just felt like those were hard moments. Like we went mini golfing, which by the way, apparently we're not a mini golfing family. This (laughs) is not a thing we can do. I love it too. And so does Andrea and Ruby wants so desperately and needs to be good at everything on like the first try. Right. That's a lot of pressure. You have 19 holes you have to make Mm -hmm. it through. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, are we going to finish? Are we going to stop? And I just... 
it was awful. It was a really bad moment. I actually like called my mom at one point and I was oh. just like, I just, this is hard and I knew it was going to be hard. But here's the thing. We processed it after the fact. Yeah. We learned things. We like worked through the stuff and it wasn't in this way of like, me kind of dancing around and trying to make sure that everybody was okay. It was very much like a group effort of like, these are each of our needs in these situations. And so how are we going to like kind of work together to make sure that, so we made a list of everything that everyone wanted to do on the trip and, but really like everyone's peace of mind was kind of at the top of the list. So we uh-huh. let a couple things fall off the list because it was That's me good. too much. And so it was just, oh. it was really, really nice. And we went to Lake Tahoe, which truly, if anyone out there has not been, it is just one of the most beautiful places it in is. the world. That water is so clean and fresh. Like you can just drink it. Mm-hmm. out of the lake. I mean, it, it's stunning. Lovely. I'm really glad Thank that you, you had that. Thank you. And I'm really glad that we have Samantha Fox on today, the yes. lesbian curiosity coach that I've been fangirling over on TikTok. You gave Samantha Fox a shout out in our listener question episode as one of your absolute <gasps> favorite TikTok <That's> right. <laughs> creators. Yeah. And then you had the courage to reach out and yeah. ask her to be on the podcast. Said yes. Yeah. I know. I'm so excited to learn more about her work and her process. Yes. And it's exceptionally relevant to my life right now. And I'm going to try not to turn it into a private therapy session, but I do have some personal questions as well. I'm sure if you have the question that someone in the listening audience also has the question. So I support you. Thank you. You're always so supportive. You have been the one to introduce me to Samantha Fox. And what I have learned about her is that she is a sexuality coach. She works with women worldwide who discover that they are not as straight as (laughs) they thought. Mm -hmm. So she has an experiential model that she works with folks, I think both one-on-one. She has a private practice working with individuals and couples. And she also has a boot camp. And Mm. it's a process that she takes people through of unpacking and learning and relearning narratives that we carry with us due to being born into a patriarchal society. So I see why you are really into Samantha Fox and her work as the lesbian curiosity coach. Yeah, she's one of my TikTok oracles. (laughs) telling me (laughs) more about myself. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Not a creator, an oracle. An oracle. Yeah. (gasps) She's like, have you thought about this? She comes on my feed going, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Uh So I am just super excited to talk to her about all of this new stuff that she's taught me on TikTok about like compulsory heterosexuality. Anyway, let's get into it with her because I'm just so excited to be in conversation and learn more. Yeah, me too. Let's do it. Hello, Samantha. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome to the Fuck Yeah podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I just want to mention 
uh, quickly, I am a, such a fangirl for you. I found you on TikTok. I think TikTok knows more about me than I know about myself. And so I definitely think it was trying to tell me something that I've since been exploring when your TikTok came across my For You page. But I love your work so much. And I just want to tell you that I think you're doing a great service out there and um, that, you know, being there for so many women coming out later in life. So thank you for that. Thanks for sharing that. I love hearing that. Yeah, TikTok does do that. They find you. (laughs) They told me I had ADHD before I knew it. So, But before we get into it, which I want to get into it, we have a few warm-up questions for you. What is your favorite thing to wear right now, clothing or otherwise? Something that I always wear is this leather tie around my neck. Mm -hmm. People have asked me what it means and why I wear it and where I got it. And it's really strange. I've been wearing it for about 20 years. Wow. I mean, not the same piece, but it's literally a piece of leather that I just felt like tying around my neck because I like it. That's why. Wow. Yeah. So I have like a roll of leather cord and every time it breaks, I just tie a new one on and I don't really know what it means, but yes, I like to wear it. I love that. And do you keep it on no matter what through showers? Now I take it off for showers. I usually try to take it off for sleeping, but eventually it loses its grip and it it breaks and then I just put a new one on. I don't know what it is. I just love it. I love the texture. Um, I'm a texture person. So do you touch it throughout the day? Like when you're talking or whatever? (laughs) I love that. You have your own like stim necklace. Yeah. (laughs) My everyday necklace just broke when we were on vacation. I have the chain. I'm going to get it fixed. But I feel like a part of me is missing right now Mm. because I realize that I hold on to it. I string it around. I play with it all the time. So I so relate to just having that piece that you always have with you. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, this is such an interesting one. I'm not like a huge celebrity crush person, but I would say the first woman that I had like a strong reaction to Mm -hmm. was Jodie Foster. Ooh, I love it. And like every time I saw her from when I was like, nine or eight or, you know, around eight or 10 saw her in a movie, I would have some kind of major reaction, but I had no idea what was happening. What was the first movie that you saw her in? Because she was in some doozies for children. Yeah, I want to say it might have been that, like the Silence of the Lambs. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I was like, taxi driver. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is like, yeah, Clarice era. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jodie Foster comes off as gay to me. You know what I mean? Like once you know what gay is, once I you feel have like she, she reads gay. So I, and I wonder if you were picking up on that as well, or what is it about Jody that you think was doing it? I think it's what you're saying. And, you know, this is something that I've been noticing more and more as the years go by. I think looking back to even like elementary school, middle school, high school, being around girls that I had the same reaction that I had to her, mm-hmm. but had no idea what it meant. So I, I did not connect in any way that there was like an attraction. There was just this like sweaty nervousness, mm-hmm. weakness in my knees, could not find my words and just thought there was something terribly wrong with me, but did not connect it to attraction at all. Yeah. So yeah, which is, well, I mean, right over my head. Because you have no frame of reference. (laughs) No frame of reference. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. What was your first mode of masturbation? Um, Like my big stuffed animals. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And just squeezing. (laughs) 
You would squeeze them? Yeah, like squeeze on them. Yeah. How old do you think you were? Probably like six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty young. Pretty young. We've had a lot of stuffed animals or in Sarah's (laughs) case, Cabbage Patch doll lovers (laughs) on the podcast. So, but you would just squeeze them? Yes, like squeeze between my legs, kind of like squeeze and rub a little. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually more the norm than people think. Mm -hmm. We've only had a couple folks who were like, oh, you know, around 13, I started exploring my genitals with my hands. Mm -hmm. It's like like, weird. Really nothing before that. They're like, no. Yeah, but most me, people say, you know, those kind of pleasurable sensory experiences at a pretty young age with like comfort objects and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. How did you get into your work? I'm curious about your coming out story. Yeah, I was already in school to become a therapist while I was married to a man and was pregnant, really was not aware of my sexuality, which I believe I was gay from like the earliest of time, but just Mm -hmm. did not know. And and on top of that, I have early childhood sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. which I think basically just took my sexuality and made me unable to connect to my authentic self and really try to like create some power dynamics and some control for me around sexuality for so many years, which is how I ended up getting married. That and compulsory heterosexuality. So... While there were lots of signs looking back, I really didn't know. I was in school to become a therapist even before I was gay. And then I ended up having some kids and taking a little bit of a break. I would say it was really 9-11 that living in New York City during that time, having three young kids, that it really like shook me awake kind of, I I think in a similar way to what COVID has done recently. So it, it just shook me so much where it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I was 32, like at any minute this could all be done and I'm really Mm -hmm. unsatisfied. And I had been really longing to be with a woman and to have a relationship with a woman. And every time my husband would travel, which was quite often, I would read novels and I would rent, you know, lesbian dramas. And then the minute he would come back, they'd all be away. And I'd be back in my heterosexual life as a stay-at-home mother. I was a stay-at-home mother at the time. So 9-11 happened, and it just shook me to this point where I kind of opened up. Mm-hmm. I kind of like even opened my eyes, I would say. And I was like almost like looking. I was like, I don't really know who I'm looking for, but I'm just open now mm-hmm. to a woman. Um, he did not know. I wouldn't have been able to verbalize that at the time had you asked me. It was just what I was doing. So 9-11 was September of 2001. It was July of 2002. I ended up becoming, I would say, kind of obsessed with my yoga teacher who was five years younger than me, who had this way of mastering a class and just this really deep voice and amazing music. And I started taking this woman's class and just became obsessed with her. And I was literally obsessed with her for about five weeks to the point where I would come home and tell my husband how obsessed I was with her. Mm-hmm. And he he was getting a little bit suspicious, you know. <laughs> he saw her and he's like, is she a lesbian? And I said, no, because actually she wasn't. Mm-hmm. She had not been with a woman before either. That's a little foreshadowing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So she and I ended up in a five and a half year relationship. Wow. Um, I basically went from being clueless to what was happening 
to suddenly really wanting to like touch her and kiss her and, you know, touch her in every way. And that took like literally about five weeks time. I told him a couple of weeks later and told him that I wasn't going to be able to stay in the marriage, which was a big shock because it was really out of nowhere. And it was a very short time after meeting her. I would say maybe it was three months after I met her. I had three kids under five years old and was wow. a her mom. Wow. It was really just like I blew up my entire world. I didn't know how else to do it. You know, I try to help women not do that if they can <laughs> not do that because it was not great. We lived under the same roof for three years. Wow. Yeah, going through a very litigious divorce. Oh, and then I moved out. She moved in with me. We were together a total of about five and a half years. She and I broke up. And then I was a single lesbian in the world. During that time, I did go back to school. I ended up becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist with a goal of really helping women going through any stage of this and other like queer people and just relationships. Relationships were always very interesting to me. I never understood relationships watching my family. I was kind of like, why are these people together? And, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to really understand. So I had a great interest in that and kind of pulled it all together to be working with women, women coming out later, women in relationships. And eventually that turned into a coaching practice, which was during COVID Mm. because there was such a tsunami of women coming out. And it was really wild. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in New York. Up until now, I've been a licensed therapist working in New York and only with people in New York. But I can access people all around the globe now Mm -hmm. as a coach. And so I started creating programs for women and actually working with people around the globe, which has been so fun and so, so rewarding. So full circle. Very full circle. Well, and also you have this point of reference from your own personal history around a really similar traumatic event Mm -hmm. that people respond really differently to. But for some people, it does. It wakes you up to a new consciousness and like a real desire to find your authentic self. I mean, it's so interesting to kind of learn that connection between what your catalyst was. And I'm sure during the pandemic, you are a perfect resource for folks. Yeah, that's so interesting. Did you come into the gay community after that breakup with your first girlfriend or did you guys enter together or how did you kind of come into that space? Especially in New York, it's such a strong community. Am I wrong or I haven't been in New York in a while? Yeah. So by the time I got through my divorce, I was about 35. I had twins. Oh my God. And another one younger. So I had three kids. And also because I had been a stay-at-home mom, I was under a lot of stress Mm -hmm. to get myself up on my feet and being fully Mm self-supportive. So what I would say was she and I entered it together in a lot of ways. Like we'd go out to a club, we'd go out dancing. I also entered it at the beginning when I first met her, I took a weekend workshop with a woman named Joanne Fleischer, who's sort of like I don't know. To me, she's like the mother of how to work with people coming out later. She was a therapist. She was out of Philadelphia and she was running weekend workshops. So this is going back to the early 2000s for women who were married to men. So you're literally married to a man and you're attracted to women. Mm -hmm. What do you do? So I went to one of these workshops. There were 20 women from around the country there. Everybody flew in. It was in Massachusetts. And in that space, I actually created community and still have some besties. We're having our 20-year celebration. I'm actually going 
hiking with one of them in Iceland in September. Oh, that sounds amazing. But yeah, all these women were also married. It was not really like the queer community of New York City that I connected with. I connected more to the late bloomers. I connected to women coming out later that had kids that were also struggling with figuring out like, how do we do this? Who do we date? Do we date women that also have kids? Do we date Mm. women who don't have kids? Like, how do we do this thing? And I was very focused on my career and being a parent. And also, I'm highly introverted, which you might not be able to tell from my technique. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So introverted, like sit in the corner, observe people kind of introverted. So going to like big events would never be my thing anyway, but definitely attended some tea dances and, you know, things like that, pride parades and all of that. But I would say I never really entered the queer community in New York City just because I had so many other things on my plate. I'm fascinated by this whole community that I hadn't even considered of late mm-hmm. bloomers yeah. mm-hmm. with kids that formerly married. That's mm-hmm. that's a really interesting group of people that seems like, yeah, how do you access that group other than kind of going through that process yourself and being brought into the fold? Because there's not like a late bloomers divorcee bar yeah. <laughs> right. I felt like I came out late, which was 21, right? Because I had had all my friends were having sexual awakenings. And I was like, I don't get it. This is weird. But I had been queer for 15 years, and then got a divorce with a young child and went through a lot of these same things of like, what is the community now that I go to how am I going to date? Who do I date? Like I relate so much to all of those things. And I do think it's a really different experience when you're like a young queer person going, you know, like I love the, a queer party, like the joy of a party Mm -hmm. is amazing. But when you're at a certain stage in your life where you're like, I am now a single parent Mm -hmm. and I am the only one, like I am in charge of all of this stuff, kind of what you need as a cathartic or connected experience is just so very different. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's so interesting. You said something in the very beginning, and I've seen this on your channel. You said the term compulsory heterosexuality. And I love that term so much because I just think that this rules our society and how we come into our sexuality. Can you break that down? Because I think that probably that's going to be new to some listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Compulsory heterosexuality. It's like a brutal regime that affects (laughs) men and women. Mm -hmm. Really coming down through the conditioning, through the patriarchy, right? Through patriarchal culture. This is essentially based on the genitalia that you're born with. Mm -hmm. Your sexuality is determined at birth. Just like your gender. Just like your gender. The minute you're born female, and I'm just going to talk to the female piece because males have it too. And I really think it does a huge disservice to them as well. It's just not my area of expertise. Patriarchy harms everybody. Yes, exactly. So the minute you're born female, you're going to be a wife one day and you're going to have a husband one day and you're going to have babies one day and you're going to make sure everybody is happy all the time and you're really so pleasing and you're going to always look really nice and you're going to always be smiling and you're never going to be angry. And I mean, it just... So, but the heterosexuality piece, so I mean, I can go on and on about it, but the heterosexuality piece is basically just, oh, it's a girl. That means she's heterosexual. I mean, yep. there is no option. There is no 
there is no just, oh, it's a girl. This is wonderful. And then nothing. It's all based on a knowing and an expectation that comes typically either from the family of origin, from religion, or just from society, all three or any of the one, that that is what is going to happen. You're going to have a boyfriend as soon as you go through adolescence. So which boys do you like? You know, who's yeah. your, do you have a boyfriend at school, right? These, like the grandparents are asking the question even. Like it's just everywhere and you can't get away from it. And because we're so conditioned, I mean, the other pieces are important because of all the conditioning that we have to be so pleasing. A lot of women are just, they don't even know. They don't know. I mean, you're just told what you're supposed to do. I call it like the conveyor belt life. You're Mm. told what you're supposed to do. You hop on the conveyor belt. You know, you just fit into all the boxes and at the end it's all wrapped and neat and then you're married and you have your two kids and you have your your one person that you're going to be with for the remainder of time. Mm -hmm. All of it is just so packaged and sold and it just does a lot of harm and especially to this particular group of women that are realizing later in life that they actually never were really attracted to any man, but they didn't know they had any other choice and they didn't Mm -hmm. have any models. And so they did marry a man and now they're starting to wake up to feelings of attraction to women. And then they're struggling with internalized homophobia Mm -hmm. and internalized misogyny and also just guilt and shame. How do I do this? How do I leave this life that was so expected? Everyone is going to be so disappointed. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to please people. I'm going to be cut out from people's. I mean, it's just, it's so messy and it's, it really is like a brutal regime. It's like leaving the Amish almost. It's like you have to do a whole other society almost because so many people will just completely reject the idea. It's like you have a nice husband. He's good to you. You have these kids. Why are you going to mess up your kids' lives with the divorce? You know, it's like nobody wants you to do it except for this small group of people that are like, we did it and it's awesome. Or it's like that voice inside, right? Like Mm -hmm. I do think that we actually, you know, you see kids, we're both parents Mm -hmm. and you know the spirit and the light is so Mm -hmm. bright in your young kids and there's just all of this programming that happens through like our capitalist patriarchal white supremacist system that just sort of like dulls the light and sometimes there's something that just shakes you up of course some people figure out how to live their authentic path for like their whole journey and like good for those fuckers but like for most of us, it's just like we're trying to fit into these boxes. And I think particularly for folks who are socialized female, or I guess maybe I'll speak for myself. It's like you're supposed to be a good girl. Right. And you're not supposed to rock the boat. And that thing that you're talking about, like the human caregiver syndrome. So it's like there's so much working against you to break out of those molds. And something else that you talk about in your work is the male gaze. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is also a big thing that we're programmed towards. All of society is like, oh, yeah, things are supposed to come in this package that is oriented towards men. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a feminine-ish package, then that is supposed to be like hyper-feminine, sexy, but not too sexy. I mean, I could go into the Barbie rant of like this, but not that and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. How do you work with folks to do that deprogramming around the male gaze? The deprogramming around the male gaze is deprogramming of all of these things that we're talking about in terms of 
how women come to believe their value and worth exists in the world. So I do a lot of unpacking initially. So I, I have a boot camp. It's 12 weeks. We start with a lot of unpacking and trying to understand what are our sexual narratives? Like, how do we become sexual beings in the world? What are the things that we learned from our family of origin or from our religion or from society? And let's unpack those and look at those roles and what you saw in your parents and what you were told and your early experiences and really start to question, like, do these align with you today? Mm-hmm. Are these the beliefs you you have today mm-hmm. or are these from a different time? So it's, I mean, a lot about curiosity, right? We live in a world where everybody wants to know. I know this or I, you know, I've already figured this out or whatever. I know myself, but this is all about not knowing yourself so well and actually being open to being curious and in that space of curiosity, doing the unpacking of all of these things that led us to believe that we are valuable and worthy in the world because we are pleasant. Mm-hmm. We are doing what's keeping everybody else happy. We are following the norms and keeping ourselves mm-hmm. in the lines of the boxes at all times. And the truth is, is that the women that work with me, a lot of them don't know who they are. Yeah. Their entire self-worth is based on what they're seeing from the outside world that is who they are. It's what's mirrored in the outside world. Right. They have a sense of themselves. So it's really about unpacking as much as we can and unlearning. I do parts work. I don't know if you're familiar with um, internal family systems, but that is the model that my programs are all based on. So we do a lot of parts work and just working with parts of us that are really blocking us from knowing ourselves and unpacking that and starting to build some self, some sense of self. Like who is your adult self of today? Let's start with that calm, confident, courageous, connected Mm. you and decide from there, what do you want? Who do you desire? Because women don't even think about that. Even when they come out later, so these women that come out later, they're still, I I just recently did a, a post this week, I think earlier, where I asked women to share if they had a type late bloomers, late blooming queers, if you had a type, what would that type be? And one of the women answered and said, anyone who is attracted to me. Right. Yeah. That's how I used to be with men. 100%. If you showed interest in me, that's all it took when I was in my 20s because I was so desperate for that male gaze approval. You end up making your whole life around it. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's how I ended up in my first marriage. And that was not with a man, right? right? So it is, it runs deep even when you challenge these parts of yourself. Well, I mean, we can see these kind of dynamics play sometimes in lesbian communities. Like there's a whole butch femme dynamic that sometimes mirrors this that um, I think that, you know, people are trying to work to get outside of as well. Yes, that exists. And I think at the end of the day, you know, as much as my programs are, they really are geared toward a very niche select, you know, group of folks, really the work itself, it really applies to everybody. Yeah. Right. Anybody could do the program and walk out really learning a lot about themselves, mm-hmm. you know. But there's that important community piece, I would imagine, too, like that thing that you described about finding this community of people who are going through a similar thing. So even though it's niche and might apply to everybody, the fact that you're doing it in a container yeah. with 
you know, people who are sharing your lived experience can really, I would imagine, amplify the power of the work. And the transformation. I'm 22 or 23 years into this whole process. And this is like 12 weeks. I mean, I have watched these women transform their lives in literally six months from being married. This is when you have like a a friendly marriage that you're able to get out of Mm -hmm. where they remain friends, but just really being able to transform and start a new relationship and come into themselves and never before did they think that that was even possible. So the community piece is also really part of that transformational experience. Hmm. I imagine that there are real negative consequences for folks like you. They've already established their lives and now they're realizing like, oh shit, Mm -hmm. this isn't serving me. The community aspect of it, I would imagine, is a piece that makes it kind of manageable. But there's also folks that you're not necessarily leaving behind, but that probably feel that way in you sort of changing the whole Mm -hmm. rules of the game, right? Like suddenly, you know, I've seen you this one way and now you're telling me you're a different way. So you're having to kind of disentangle from your family. And Robin, I know you're going to I know, this is exactly what I'm going through right now. Personal questions about this, but I'm just wondering, like, how do people navigate this, like, really entrenched social circles? Maybe they're leaving a marriage. Maybe they're having to navigate this with kids. It's heavy. It's a lot. I mean, it's it's not easy. And I'm going to say there isn't really any one way. Um, I navigated it my way. My ex-husband kind of outed me to everybody before I even outed myself. So a lot of fallout and family members on his side that completely cut me out and Mm -hmm. that I have no relationship with anymore, which is sad because we have kids together. You know, the kids are connected to them, but not at all to me. And I think this is another piece of why being able to have some support and guidance while you're going through this is so important because you have to be able to like be strong. I mean, it is not easy. You have to be strong in yourself Mm -hmm. and realize that if people don't accept you for who you are or they're going to cut you off or they're going to treat you differently or they're not going to want to stay connected to you, that says a lot about the relationship and about the person. And it it doesn't say a lot about you. And I think that's what people take it as. They're like, this means a lot about me. I'm not even acceptable to these people anymore. They just think I'm disgusting or whatever it is. That's not about you. That's about them. Because we're used to living in that mirrored world. Mm-hmm. We're used to people reflecting back to us who we are. And it's so hard to disconnect from that and just know who you are. Right. And that's the piece. That's really the piece that I try to get at with the women that I work with is just getting at who you are and knowing who you are because you have to have your own back. Right. Nobody's going to have your back. You're the only one. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's basically like adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for everybody, you know, it's uh, it's boundaries and saying no sometimes and people are disappointed. And that's okay. Disappointment is part of everyday life, you know. And so a lot of it is not even just queer based and not even coming out based. It's just like really being an adult based and knowing you're never gonna please everybody. Yeah. And nor do you need to, you know, Yeah. but there's loss and there's grief 
And I always say it's making space for all of those emotions that come with the loss and the grief with people that are so disappointed that they can't stay connected to you and what that feels like to you for the loss of those relationships, letting yourself really feel that, Hmm. not bypassing that. Mm. I'm, I'm so, and I don't want to use like free coaching or therapy services, <laughs> but I'm so excited to talk to you about some things. Cause I'm going through a lot of what you're describing right now, but I feel like I have a bit of an unusual circumstance because I've been involved with the queer community and with like sex work and the sex toy industry. Like I'm very, I'm a pleasure educator. It's like, I know what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. So I'm going through this thing with my husband right now where it's been like a long process of me realizing that I do people pleasing. Like maybe three years ago, I remember crying to a friend being like, I have everything that I want. Why can't I be happy? You know, I had a major emotional mental breakdown that I'm still recovering from. And I think that as I've gone through deconstructing my people pleasing And then Sarah and I did a thing where we read my old journals from when I was a teenager and I'm talking about being attracted to my best friend. I remember coming out to my mom as a teenager and she told me that I wasn't gay. And then I had a relationship with a woman in college and it ended very badly and I wasn't very attracted to her. I decided then, you know what? You did your college try. You're not gay. You're straight. That was in the 90s, though. And between then and now, every single person that meets yes. Robin is like, oh, yeah, she's, gay. she's definitely she's Yeah, definitely like we queer. like Sarah and I would go out and people would think Sarah's straight and then I'm gay <laughs> or that we're together, you know, and I'm like, no, silly. I love dick. And then yeah, but yeah. I'm like <laughs> and I also I think I've had a big obsession with the male gaze because I was able to attract it in a way. But, you know, making a lot of choices for myself and connecting for my emotions, like I moved out of the house. I'm trying to be my own person, dress how I want and decorate how I want and do all of these things and find myself and truly be autonomous. And it's ruining my marriage because that's not fitting into his idea of who I should be. But under all of this, I'm like, wait a minute, am I gay? You know, back in the day, you had to decide, are you gay? Are you straight? Maybe you're bisexual. But now this whole world of gender fluidity and pansexuality, I'm like, you know what? I, I, I've been working on disintegrating my misogynistic sexual fantasies and getting down to just pleasure. And then I want to rebuild that. But I just don't know. I just, I just don't know anymore. Like I don't, I don't know. And I don't feel like I have to define it anymore. If I was going to label it right now, I'd call myself pansexual just because I, I'm open to Mm -hmm. all of it. So I, I don't know. What, 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 what do I do? It sounds like you're doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pansexual, I like queer just because it, to me, it's like the biggest umbrella for all of it. It's like every color, you know, but it sounds like you're doing it. You are taking the time and space to not be who he thinks you should be. Right. Or it seems like who anybody thinks you should be and just actually be who you are and see who that is. Yeah. And seeing what comes up in that space. And that's hard to do, you know, um, as an adult with kids being married. Like, this is really hard to do. And I think it's the best thing you could be doing. Thank you. I yeah. I appreciate that. I need a little 
because it's hard. It's exhausting. It's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. I have a specific question. It occurred to me recently that I knew what my role in a sexual dynamic was with the man. Mm-hmm. And now I don't even know what my, if I was ever with a man again, what my role would be. Cause I want to redefine that. Cause I can see now how handed down it was. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a very like alluring, but sexually submissive role. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I don't even know if I were to sleep with women. I don't know who I am in that situation. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think that, you know, the whole like, what role am I? And, and, and for some people, they really truly feel they do fit. I'm talking about in queer life now, like they really do fit into a role and that that's where they're comfortable and that's how they'll move around. But I, even the idea for me of a role is like too boxy. Yeah. Because the truth is, is like, depending on whoever it is that you're with, you know, the energy is going to like, you're going to play off of somebody else's energy. Right. So I just want to say, make space for it to change because with somebody, you might be a little bit more on the receiving end or a little bit more submissive and that might feel amazing. And then with somebody else, you might feel very much like the giver and the doer. And that might feel also really amazing. And so in queer sexuality, I also feel like you don't have to have like, this is the role I play. I love that. And now that you're saying it, it's so obvious, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. of course, I'm still stuck in this hetero patriarchal kind of thing where you have this role and you have that role. And I'm like, what's my role? And it's like, actually, you don't need one. What a relief. You don't need one because there's a lot of talk about like top energy and like, Mm -hmm. and then that gets conflated with mask energy, which is Mm -hmm. so completely off. And then like femme energy and bottom energy and whatnot. So what I always say to people is when you're fantasizing, what are you fantasizing about? Are you Mm -hmm. fantasizing about doing and touching? Like, are you fantasizing about going down on a woman? Like, you know, like are you fantasizing about like sucking on her nipples or like what are like are you on top like what is the fantasy or has she taken you you know like what what is happening and that gives you a little bit of an idea of like what turns you on right so in your fantasy life what's happening is typically aligned with what you like because you know this is like coming to you naturally like this is what's turning you on so that's a clue that's interesting I would still like to deconstruct that even more, though. Mm-hmm. Because I think I need to just be able to consider other ideas. Yes. I mean, some of that might just have to be experiential. It might. Yeah. <laughs> there is something about attraction in the same way that the first time that you stimulate the urethral sponge, like the mm-hmm. G area or the prostate, it might not feel erotic, mm-hmm. but like we can kind of build muscle memory because if you've never been exposed to a different dynamic like it doesn't live in your body Mm -hmm. it can't like set the fire so like you might always have some fantasies that are somewhat rooted in a pretty patriarchal power Mm -hmm. dynamic and that might just be where you start from and then where it goes next is like turning that whole dynamic on its head or you know whatever yeah. Because you've had like 25 years yeah. of exploring that thing. Your brain goes, this is what is erotic. Right. I mean, yeah. I can think back on you were talking earlier, Samantha, about erotic novels. I mean, my grandmother had romance novels mm-hmm. sitting around 
they're in there in me, right? Yeah. Like I can become the most empowered feminist top, whatever. <laughs> and like that thing of like sort of being swept away and dominated is mm-hmm. it's in there somewhere. And that can also be okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not because that's the role you're playing. Right. If you want to be swept away awesome. If that turns you on and that gives you pleasure, that's amazing. Yeah. I feel like the answer always goes back to, yeah, what do you feel? Where is it leading you rather than what you should be doing? It's it's getting out of the shoulds and into the curiosity. I mean, I think you have an excellent name as a curiosity coach. I love that. That's yeah. what it's a yeah. lot of it's what it's about. Being yeah. curious and observing. Yes, and getting in touch with yourself and it's and you'd be surprised at how few people in the world do that. Yeah, I'm learning that. That's what I was going to say is I feel like we've just come full circle to, you know, our very first question, you know, around compulsory heterosexuality is that it is actually easier to just get into the box that everybody kind of expects you right. to be in. The like world where you open up, it's a more complicated and nuanced process that's a lot harder. Yeah. It's um, a big part of why I love queer people as a group in general, because most of them have had to do this kind of work and straight people can go their whole lives without questioning. You know what I mean? Yes. And I want to also say as a coach, I do work with people who are, I mean, they might be in their twenties and they're questioning their sexuality and coming out, or they could be 70. I just had a call with a woman oh. who's 67, who's joining my boot camp and, oh, and was married so for 40 years. Oh my gosh. Better late than never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also have a number of clients as a therapist and also many people that I know in the world that have been out since they were 15 mm-hmm. and they are out and they are proud, but they have not become comfortable. They have a lot of shame. Mm around their sexual desires and around pleasure. And they haven't figured out how to integrate their um, sexual desires and emotional intimacy. So yes, they're out of the boxes because when you're queer, like you can't, you don't fit into a box as a queer person. But still our society is a society that is, you know, shames us. And so people do, even though they're out, they've been out forever and they're in their 50s. Mm-hmm. They are still walking around, I can tell you, 60s, yeah. not having the sex that they want, not knowing how to receive pleasure, not mm-hmm. knowing what to do about that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a societal sickness, you know. Yeah, it is. Aside from finding you, which we're going to absolutely let everybody know how to find you, what are some resources that you love? I mean, the the most recent one that I just thought was like so well done was Jane Ward's book, The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. Mm, what a great title. <laughs> and I've given that to straight clients and all the people going through the boot camp. That one is just, she does such a great job. So there's that. One of the books that I like around like starting to understand yourself as an emotional human is called It's Not Always Depression. I love these titles. (laughs) Yeah. It's Not Always Depression really explains your emotional system and how it works. And another one is No Bad Parts, which is Mm. the internal family systems uh, model that I use to work with my clients by Richard Schwartz. That's really about 
learning how to work with your internal family system, which is like all the different parts of you that are there to protect you, but also keep you from really fully living your life. Hmm. And then another one, I'll just throw one more last one for self-compassion, because like without that, like we're really lost. Like you have to have, so you have to get to the point of self-love and Mm self-compassion. And I love the book Lighter by Young Pueblo, I think it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he beautifully lays out what it looks like to grow a self-compassion practice. So those are a couple. I love those. You know what is so funny is your first call out. Jane Ward was the founder of the feminist queer femme performance group that we were never in it together. But the Miracle Whips was a performance group that I was involved in for many years. And Jane Ward started that group. So I super love that call out. She's a pretty badass feminist. Where can people find you? You can find me on TikTok, uh, Lesbian Curiosity Coach, or Instagram, the same, or YouTube, the same. And even lesbiancuriositycoach.com. You'll find my website. And do you have anything coming up that you want folks to know about? I'm just about to offer a free quiz, which is interesting for you, Robin, which is Mm. um, if I'm attracted to women, do I have to leave my relationship or marriage to a man? Because I have to tell you, this is a question I get more than once a week. I mean, really all the time. This is like such a question that weighs on women. So I made a little quiz based on that. Amazing. Um, with a, yeah. So that's coming out um, hopefully by the end of the weekend. But I have a boot camp coming up. It starts September 20th. It's 12 weeks. You have the, the personal reflection work, uh, meditations, modules, writing work that you do on your own. And then you have our calls, 90-minute calls in community, breakout rooms where you get to connect to other like-minded people. And then you also get to work with me one-on-one in video and text coaching. So for 12 weeks, um, you you get like a lot in there packed in and hopefully have some pretty big transformations. I've seen some amazing things happen. That one's starting on September 20th. Everyone, this is your assignment. Go find Samantha. And Sarah, do you want to do an affirmation for oh, Samantha? Oh, yes. Oh, wait, do I have one? Oh, no, they're here. They're here. Ah, okay. So this is from my sweary affirmations and we like to leave guests with a little gift because we so appreciate everything that you bring to our lives and to the podcast. Do one thing today that makes you feel fucking fabulous. Hmm. That's what we're leaving you with. Thank you. I will. I do that every day. I mean, that is an everyday affirmation. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It was very enlightening and fun and all the things. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was so great. Really great meeting both of you. Was it everything you were hoping for, Robin? Yes, and so much more. It was actually just so delightful to be with her. She's so warm and congenial, you know, like she kind of did for me everything that I was hoping for, like just on point, knows her stuff, has all this great information. And at the same time, active listening and, and receptive and warm. Like it was, it was really wonderful for me. It's like when you meet people that you admire and then they're great. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, she was so great. And I agree that there's like that balance of a real groundedness Mm -hmm. in particularly like the internal family systems. Yes. Like she's clearly really well trained in the work. 
and then applying it to something that is deeply meaningful to her. Mm -hmm. And so then Mm -hmm. like, that's where I think the authenticity and the warmth comes from is you're just like, Oh, I feel like I'm in such good hands from both a left and a right brain. Yes. It's a warm hug, but it's like really grounded in like a strong foundation. Like that's just kind of what I felt about her energy and being in conversation with her. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's a really eloquent way of putting it. There is one thing that I wanted to mention, but I didn't want to sidetrack the conversation, but she posted some TikToks recently. I think she's making a series out of it possibly, but it was ways to know if it's compulsory heterosexuality or comp het is kind of the short term for it. So she's like ways to know if it's comp het or examples of comp het. One of them is like, she's like, okay, so you're at a party and no one's coming up and talking to you and you start thinking to yourself, oh, maybe I should change my look up. Maybe I should change my hair. Maybe I'm not dressed well. And you just start thinking about what you're doing wrong in order to attract other people. And that's comp het, you know, because female bodied people are in this position of constantly being attractive to others. She's like, what if you just go to the party dressed exactly how you enjoy dressing, how it makes you feel confident and you go there and you be you and then someone finds that attractive. That's the difference. And I'm like, fuck me, dude. Like I do the, I'm involved with this sort of thing. Or like I was talking to a straight friend a little while ago and I was like telling her how so much of my sexuality is based on how much the other is attracted to me. Mm -hmm. And she still mentions that she's still thinking about it because she had never occurred to her that her whole sexuality is also based on that. How much did they want to be inside my body? Mm. That's how turned on I am Mm. because they, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. fucked up. It's, it really, it shows you how much of an accessory women are to men and I'm just, I just don't want to be an accessory anymore. I I mean, but the thing, I, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier too, is that this also plays out in queer communities. Yeah. And you're just making me think about, I have based so much of my appearance out in the world, you know, like fashion is a thing that really matters to me, like how I present and I look is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I don't know how much I've unpacked the value that I feel like I have when I look good and how much of that actually comes from, I don't know if it's insecurity or patriarchal expectations. Well, I think the insecurity comes from the patriarchal expectations. Yeah. You know, because we're taught that, yeah, we're only as valuable as we are pleasing. And that's visually, that's sexually, emotionally. And like you were talking about the logistics of the trip and taking on the comfort of everybody. I mean, you ended up not doing that, but trying to consciously not do that people pleasing thing. It's very difficult. Yeah. The tendrils of this conversation really extend. I mean, it's exactly what Samantha is saying about this work, you know, regardless of whether you're doing it to get curious about your sexuality or just really get curious kind of about yourself and how you show up in the world. Like it's the same work. Mm -hmm. 
you yeah. can apply it to a lot of different contexts. I love the permission giving that she also gave, like we're doing all this exploration, but also it's okay if you're having misogynistic fantasies. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're feeling these urges and everything, like we're all caught up in the same system and we're all just trying to find our own way in it. So I did feel like some relief with what role I play in everything. And it's like, hey, if you're attracted to a certain role, it's okay. It's okay if it comes out of patriarchy and that's why you're attracted to it. But also you can not have a role yeah. Or yeah. you can't. And I'm like, and it's so nice to hear because we have been told our whole lives, like there's one role for you, bitch, and you better do it, <laughs> you know? And now we're, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> well, that is a nice segue because mm-hmm. I have a segment for mm. us inspired by Samantha Fox. Hooray. Let's do it. When she was talking about an exercise that she takes folks through of like, what are you fantasizing about? Like, what are you doing in your fantasy? Mm -hmm. That made me think of a fantasy breakdown that I like to do. Okay. Okay. Imagine a Venn diagram. Circles, overlapping circles. Three overlapping circles. Right. That's the Venn diagram. Got it. Got it. Yes. So in one circle... You've got sex acts. In the other circle, you have, you know, power dynamics. And then in the third circle, you've got past experiences, things from your sexual script, whether they are, you know, your first celebrity crush. Right. Or the first time you had sex or that really hot sexual escapade that you had. So you've got these three circles and our fantasies are rooted predominantly in these three different categories. Mm-hmm. And when you can particularly get to where there are the overlaps, mm-hmm. that's where you get to tap into the roots of your fantasies. Mm-hmm. You could apply this to like a sex scene that you really like from a film okay. or perhaps a dynamic that you want to create in a BDSM scene. Mm -hmm. So you start thinking about what are the actual sex acts, the sensations Mm -hmm. that I like, then overlay on top of that, what are the dynamics that are exciting to me as they relate to these particular sex acts? Okay. So like if there's a sensation, so we'll take spanking. Okay. As an example, maybe you really love the sound of spanking, but you don't particularly love the sensation of receiving a spanking. Okay. You also happen to really like being dominant with a partner. Okay. Well, now you found a juicy place with giving a spanking. Yes. Now, if you add into this mix, say you're playing with a partner who had, you know, a mean teacher who they've got like a fantasy around like, oh, I'd really like that mean teacher to give me a spanking. And you're like, I will happily be that mean teacher who gives you a spanking because I also really like, I would love to be able to be mean 
you know, and fulfill your fantasies. And yes. (laughs) And like, I get to fulfill my fantasies because I get the enjoyment of like being in control and hearing the sound of a spanking. Mm -hmm. And I get to like feel your ass cheeks in my hands. So like now you've gotten to like the center of that Venn diagram Mm -hmm. where like all three things are activated. The thing that you're doing, the sensations you're exploring, the actual sex acts, the dynamic that you're interested in, Mm -hmm. and something from your sexual script, your fantasies, your past experiences, it's really positive that you've attached a strong desire to. When you can find the that like trifecta of things is when you really get to some pretty expansive sexual experiences. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing way to break it down. It's interesting to think about the trifecta. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can like reverse engineer it too, mm-hmm. where you go like, oh, why was that thing hot to me? Or why was that thing not hot to me? Because sometimes maybe just like one element in that Venn diagram is off, but everything else, like there's potential with everything because we've all had that, right? Where you're like, that should have been really hot. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't it? Why? Yeah, that, <laughs> that was awkward. Yes. Yeah. So so I like the, uh, the like fantasy Venn diagram. I also enjoy when you can take something so mysterious and ephemeral and put it into a diagram. Like that's a special (laughs) skill of yours. (laughs) So I appreciate that breakdown. Yeah. This Virgo part of my brain (laughs) that's always just like, but it's got to be organized and in categories. Like, Let's put it in an Excel spreadsheet. Then it'll make sense. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, Well, I really enjoyed today. I enjoy spending time with you and talking with Samantha. So, And I appreciate you, dear listeners, for joining us. And you can always stay in conversation with us. Find us on TikTok at fuckyeahpod and on Instagram at fuckyeahpod. And then our email is fyeahpod at gmail. And we're on threads. As well. We are. Yep. We're on threads. Um, I, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're failing threads right now, but we are, you know, knocking it out of the park on YouTube. F yeah pod. You can That's find right. us there too. And you can mm-hmm. see our faces. You see our faces. We would love to be seen and we'd love to hear from you. Tell us your fuck yes. Send us a recording of your fuck yeah. Send us a recording of your celebrity crushes and we'll feature them on the show and maybe make a video out of them for the socials. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyeahpod.com. Thanks for tuning in.